Welcome everyone to the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. The best of the best was last night for WWE, and we can certainly say there was definitely best of the best, but also worst of the worst. We're going to talk about it. So, Ralph, your initial thoughts before we really dive into everything. What are your initial thoughts of Survivor Series last night? Uh, overall, I think the matches that needed to deliver certainly delivered. I thought that there was a lot of stuff on it that I did not particularly care for. Um, I think the main event delivered in a big way. I think overall, the Undertaker send-off was very well done. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't say that I came away from this having any type of negative feeling. I think that the main event more than made up for any of the shortcomings of the entire pay-per-view overall. Yeah, I think there was a lot of good, and there were some things that people are going to be scratching their head on. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we're going to dive into it a little bit more. Some things I actually disagree with a lot of people on. But before we get to all that, let's talk about the Battle Royal. They kind of just do their own thing. You know, a lot of guys just kind of standing around, don't know what to do until they find someone. And then they find someone and that one of those people get eliminated. And that was kind of basically the gist of this dual brand Battle Royal. With that said, The Miz ends up winning, last eliminating Dominic Mysterio. Interesting way they did it where it looked like the Miz was kicked over and out, but he managed to roll himself back in, then roll out to the floor, eventually eliminating Dominic Mysterio, who thought he won, but the Miz outsmarting him. Uh, What are your thoughts on this battle royal? It was a pretty much your standard battle royal. I I figured that somebody like the Miz would get the logical nod here. Um, I predicted Big E initially yesterday or Lars Sullivan. And neither one um, were in it. Yeah, neither one were in it. But you know, we we weren't we weren't given the entrance until last night. So you know, I, we kind of were taking a shot in the dark with that one. But it was interesting. You know, you got the Miz, who really kind of played up the role of being this opportunist. He came out, he won the match. I thought that for uh, I was pretty certain that once seeing him win and look strong in that, or you know, depending on how you want to look at it, he did get the win. So they were highlighting him in, in some positive fashion. So I, I, I thought that he was going to at least try to cash in last night. Yeah. That didn't happen, but I think maybe they actually had him win to kind of tease the fans or maybe make them think that this could have been the night where he tried to cash in. I it mean, especially, especially when it was the 10 year anniversary in the same building of his first cash in, I guess yeah. they didn't want history to repeat itself. Like they were already having with the undertaker on you know, his debut 30 years to the day, the gobbledy gobbledy gooker made an appearance 30 years to the day of his debut, won the 24 seven championship. Yeah. Um, the, the pool of entrance for this battle Royal. I mean, it wasn't like a terrible pool. Like you had Jeff Hardy, you had, um, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander from the hurt business. They had Murphy, Dominic Mysterio, Ray Mysterio, Kalisto, Dolph Ziggler, Bobby Roode, like there wasn't really any like throw in entrance to me. Yeah. And the only thing is there were a lot of eliminations that kind of had their own story to them prior to Survivor Series. So, for example, you had Elias get eliminated by Jeff Hardy. You had um, Angel Garza eliminating Humberto Carrillo, you know, stuff like that. Like there were a lot of storylines into the eliminations themselves. So, I mean, it wasn't the greatest battle royal ever, but it served its purpose for the pre-show, I guess. A little entertainment before the the fun begins. So let's get to the main show, Ralph. And the opening match for the real Survivor Series pay-per-view is the men's Survivor Series match on SmackDown. 
We had Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, Otis, and um, who was the last guy? I'm drawing a blank on the last Jay. guy. Jay, yes, thank you. Jay Uso, of course, the one person you need to remember. And on Team Raw, it is Matt Riddle, Keith Lee, AJ Styles, Braun Strowman. And again, why am I? Oh, Matt Riddle. There we go. Should have written this stuff down. Would have been better. But um, anyway. Shooting from the hip. I'm shooting from the hip. I always shoot from the hip. I never take notes, but maybe I should start doing that. Anyway, um, you have this very interesting first elimination. And I do want to talk about that. Seth Rollins tags himself in from Kevin Owens. He st- like before the match even starts, he just has this, this glare in his eyes. He's not giving eye contact to any of the wrestlers, whether on his team or not. He just stares into the abyss from the outside, finally gets tagged in, turns to his teammates and goes for the greater good and then becomes a martyr and lets Sheamus bro kick him, gets eliminated. I actually like this. It fits his character so well for being the Monday Night Messiah and the SmackDown Savior, whatever you want to call him. I thought that was a very, very good first elimination. And obviously they're doing it to write Seth Rollins off, but it works so well for his character. Now, do they continue with the Messiah character when he comes back? Is he reborn like the Messiah known as Jesus Christ that he's kind of making this character out of in a way. I I think that they go back to the old, old school Seth. I think that, you know, knowing that Roman is the champion right now, he's going to need some contenders. I don't really see anybody lined up in the immediate future. I mean, maybe something's in the cards for Daniel Bryan. I think eventually once Seth comes back, it only makes logical sense to have Seth and Roman do their thing. So, you know, eventually I see Seth coming back, not really taking on this whole Messiah gimmick. He, he's, he's done it. He's done it the best that he possibly can. I think that some people are more, in, more into it. Some people aren't really fans of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think we're going to see the Messiah gimmick once he decides to come back. Oh, I don't know. I think they got to... I mean, there were always developments in the Undertaker character when he took on these weird hiatuses, especially after the 94 Rumble where he levitated from the, uh, to the skies and he created a new version of the Undertaker. I think that's we might see a new version of the Messiah. So he yep. to to do that, he needs to become a martyr and sacrifice himself. But after that, we had this little standoff of Keith Lee and Otis. And to me, it reminded me of Street Fighter, the movie. At the end where Zangief, Zangief and, and-, and E. Honda are just throwing each other around. And there's a part where they take the security camera and they're pad- um, crushing over the model Shondaloo. That's what this reminded me of. Would you like? First off, speaking of Keith Lee, what do you think of his new uh, entrance music? It's certainly an upgrade. Thank God. Um, I like his NXT entrance theme a little bit better, but you know what? I'll, I will take anything over the generic um, music that he had right before this. So I think it's certainly a step in the right direction. At least it, it calms some of the fans down because I know. Amongst other things that have gone on with Keith Lee since he's been brought up to the main card, that was one of the biggest things that people were upset about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously him getting the last elimination, him, you know, I, I think Raw for the story of them not being able to coexist and then eventually really working as a team to do what they can to win, I think just really, really helps in that in that regard and helps the story 
And actually, the closing shot of the match was very Street Fighter-esque as well, where they're all doing their like taunting pose, where you got Braun with his arms up, you have Keith Lee doing the thumb and the, the arm, uh, you know, Matt Riddle doing his thing. Very Street Fighter-esque. This, this whole match reminded me of is the movie Street Fighter, which someone's saying in the comment here, Dope, uh, Dope Dubs Productions, Bison was that whole movie. Couldn't agree more. The movie's like really bad, but I mean, it's a good, it's a good movie nonetheless. Yeah. Um. What did What did you think of the match itself? Did you like it? Did you think it was underwhelming? It was. I'll admit it. It was underwhelming, but I think at the same time they did it in a way where, despite SmackDown getting swept, SmackDown did get their spots in and their little moments of shine. Like Otis looked good for a little bit. Jey Uso looked good for a little bit. Even Baron Corbin, it looked like he was going to score the only elimination when he hit the end of days on yeah. AJ Styles. And then everybody just came in and protected the that finisher, which is probably the most protective finisher in WWE outside of the Claymore. Say. Yeah. Um, you know, and even Kevin Owens had his series of stunners before um, AJ Styles hit him with the phenomenal forearm. And the other thing, too, you got to take into consideration as Mr. Mike just brought into the live chat, and I was going to bring this up anyway, each member of Raw did get an elimination. Yep. I, don't, I don't know if you picked up on that, but yes, that definitely happened. Um, I didn't pick up on that. I mean, I, I thought the match itself had its moments. I felt like there were certain things that they could have done a little bit better. I think that you know anybody who follows WWE product, um, whether Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, should know that you know Riddle and... Baron Corbin did that have their whole feud for a little while there. I felt like they kind of touched on that, but it could have been a little more impactful and a little more important to the match. Um, you know, Otis and and they tried to have Otis and Keith Lee kind of be two two of the bigger guys, which they certainly are by their size. Right. I just don't see Otis at that level. I kind of see Otis as more of like a, a comedy guy, and Keith Lee is a guy who can legitimately contend for a title at some point. So I, it just never got to that second gear for me. Like, like Jay Uso yeah. did okay at the end, but it never really picked up. It never really clicked into gear. Do you think, or who do you think out of the entire match, Raw or SmackDown, who looked the best in this match? If you had to I, really say, I don't think anybody looked particularly good. Um, if, if I had to pick somebody, I thought Braun looked the best character wise in the ring wise. I think he got a lot of shine in this match. I think him trying to lead Team Raw, like AJ was trying to do, hyping yeah. them up, being like, can we all get on the same page now? I thought that looked really good, and that really was the gear that got everything going for Team Raw. So I thought Braun was was the star on this this match, if you had to pick somebody. I know you're not a fan of him, but... And, you know, it's funny because I even wrote, unlike you, I actually do like to take notes during the match from time to time. When he when he came out and you see the whole thing, the Strowman Express, it's just like, how many times are they going to try a new catchphrase or a new gimmick with this guy? You know, it's it's kind it's just like nothing really catches on yeah. to me with him. And they tried get these hands. They've tried the monster among men. And now they're doing the Strowman Express. And it's just like. Maybe he's just maybe fans just don't view him as that. And I don't know if that's because of bad booking, bad storytelling, or he's just not at that level. Um, I don't know. Let's remind everybody on ways to support the channel. If you check in the link in the description, we have 10% off on our Squared Circle Psycho Bible merchandise. You could use the promo code SCPB10. 
So let's move on to the first champion versus champion match, and that was the tag team champions, the New Day versus the Street Profits. Many wanted this to be a huge, huge match. Thought it was going to be a dream match. I think they absolutely delivered. Montez Ford was the MVP in this match, but I got to give credit. The chemistry was there. Everybody wanted this to deliver, and it most certainly did. At this point, up until the main event, this was my match of the night. Yeah, this this definitely delivered in a big way for me. I, I feel like Montez Ford is a guy that is going to be somebody that is a true contender in the singles division if he continues to do the things that he's doing now. He's he's very chariz- charismatic, and he's very good in the ring, too. So I, I, I had a feeling the Street Profits were going to win this match. I know some people felt like Big E was going to get involved in it. Um, yep. This is probably the first of many matches to come between these two, I'd imagine, because to I me, hope so. they're two of the better tag teams. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely thought this was one of the better matches of the night last night, for sure. You know what I really took out of this match? I mean, I already said it. Montez Ford was the MVP of this match. But what really got me with Montez Ford was his facials and his selling. Yep. Like, the the thing about today's, especially in the tag team divisions, where... Nobody wants to sell anything. It's all high spot after high spot after high spot. They they let things breathe. And Montez Ford with his, you know, there was that close-up of him being cross-eyed. There was him selling the frog splash after getting his midsection worked on the entire match. I love the spot where Kofi had one of the solo cups and Montez Ford had that, like, you son of a bitch face in front. Like, there was so, it was so good. And, and Xavier Woods looked good in this match, too. They all look good. They really well, they're all good. very good. So there's a, there's a reason they all look good because you have a guy that's a former, you know, WWE champion and Kofi in there. You have two young up and comers. And like we talked about with Montez Ford, somebody who I think a lot of people can see the charisma certainly there. Maybe somebody who can, you know, come out of that and be one of the top guys in the, in the industry or in WWE. I mean, stylistically very much different, but charismatically, I mean, when you look at to me, the street profits, uh, Edge and Christian, right? They were two guys that you knew yeah. they had it. Like they mm-hmm. had the char- charisma. They could go in the ring. You knew that if at, at some point when those guys got split up, they were both going to be two top contenders in WWE. I get the same feeling about these guys, uh, the Street Profits. I think Montez Ford is going to be very good on a singles run. And I think that uh, Dawkins can certainly be good as well. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure when that will happen. Hopefully no time soon, but mm-hmm. they're both very good. Yeah, Mr. Mike 307 said he thought Angelo Dawkins was the MVP of this match. He certainly looked good. I always felt like with the Street Profits, like Montez was like really far and beyond Angelo Dawkins. But you know what? Angelo Dawkins picked up his his side of the the slack in this match. They like they definitely brought it. What do you think of the promo before they came out? I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. I thought that it had energy. I thought that it had a point. I liked that. Um, you know, nostalgia wise, they called out a couple of things too. So, you know, if, whether you're a longtime fan, I think you probably connected with that part of it. Yep. I thought it was funny when they said triple H the game while well, he doesn't really have a, a catch. Well, that was but, Kane that didn't have the catchphrase. Oh, I'm sorry. Kane. Yep. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that I thought were very good about that too. And, you know, got you excited for the match. How about and I'm the- sure pump people were even into the gear that, uh, the new day came out in as well. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what'd you think about that? Because I know in the past when we do like AEW reviews, you were a little critical of Kenny Omega's 
entrance attire sometimes where last year I remember when he dressed up as Sans from whatever video game it is. I don't even I don't know. Someone can I'm sure someone can yell at me in the uh live chat to tell me which game it actually is from, but um I know you were, were gonna critical get back then. into this. Yeah. Were we're you gonna critical bring this of this up again? Too? All right, yeah. let's bring it up. The reason I didn't like Kenny Omega coming out dressed like that was for a specific reason, because I think at the time he was getting ready to challenge Moxley or he was in line for a championship run or something like that. And I said the top guys shouldn't be coming out dressed as like a comic book character or a video game character, especially mm-hmm. if it's a, a a video game character that not many people know about. Right. So, Right. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with the, the New Day doing it because they're not necessarily being booked as the top guys in WWE. Like, it's not like Kofi Kingston's coming out to wrestle in the main event of WrestleMania right now dressed as uh, Street, uh, Ryu from Street Fighter or something like that, you know? Right. So, yeah. Pick and, choose your, you pick and choose your spots here. That's, that's yeah. what, that was my main point with it. Right. I mean, I obviously, with the announcement of them being part of the video game, it makes sense. Survivor Series, like I said yesterday in our predictions, I think of it as an all-star game, not necessarily a, a you know, has to have real stakes like some people think it needs to have. So I'm not as critical on that as some people are, but the only thing that needs to really be taken into consideration is who won the predictions. And I know someone caught on to this. We're going to talk about that later, but uh, Prime Killer, thank you for reminding me of that, but... It's coming. It's coming. But let's move on to the next champion versus champion match. Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn. Not much to this match. The story basically is Sami Zayn thinks, you know, everyone's in cahoots against him. There's a conspiracy against him. Corey Graves is definitely putting this theory over as well, supporting Sami Zayn, while the Hurt Business is surrounding the ring. They don't really do anything, as Michael Cole points out. They're just there. And if Sami Zayn had friends, they'd be out there too with him. That was a great line by Michael Cole, by the way. Uh, this finish is where Sami Zayn is backing up, um, ends up bumping into MVP, trips over him. MVP throws him into the ring. Sami Zayn is trying to tell the ref, hey, that should be a DQ because he tripped me. Ref's not buying it. Uh, hurt lock for the victory. Not Of all the champion versus champion matches, this was obviously the worst. This one didn't have much to it. Uh, I did get this one right with Bobby Lashley winning, though. Yeah, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because I, I feel like if these two were actually given the opportunity to ha- go out there and have a legitimate match, they could have done it, and they probably could have killed it. But, you know, that didn't happen, and there's really not a whole lot to talk about with this one. There really isn't, but I think if you were to take a match and limit the time of it because... um of how long this paper was going to be. Obviously it went over three hours, which is a first since the pandemic started. They're trying to keep every pay-per-view within a three hour window. This one definitely was the lowest um, or the longest. So something needed to get cut already to begin with. This match was the easiest one to trim down. Yeah. So uh, next up, I believe is the women's champion versus champion match. If I'm not mistaken. And that is Oscar versus Sasha Banks. We know how good these two can go. Uh, they did it once again. Another amazing match. These two just know each other so well, and the chemistry showed the the, the ability to counter each other's moves, twist it from one move to another. Like you had the bank statement twisted to the Oscar lock a couple times. A meteor went into a code breaker knee. Um, 
I just wish like they would yell code breaker <laughs> during like when Oscar does it. Like if like one of the new Japan Japanese commentators just went code breaker, code breaker during Oscar's code breaker. I would, I would love it, but Michael Cole's not going to do that. But did you notice when the match started, when the match started, what Corey Graves said? Uh, I didn't, but I'm sure you did. So what did I am contractually say? obligated to let you know by Michael Cole, it is boss time. So then Byron oh. Sass- Saxton asked him how much you get paid for it. And Corey Graves went 50 bucks. <laughs> it's boss time. Oh, God. Well, thanks, looks- thankfully, we don't hear that as often. No, we don't anymore. And thank God we don't hear it's the big dog anymore. It's just elongated other version. It just, you know, Michael Cole, he's good, but then there's times where he's just like really cringeworthy. So a lot of times he's really cringeworthy. He feels yeah. too forced. Like it's it's not authentic anymore. Right. Right. Uh, we did get a question here from Shay. I do want to bring up as we back up to Sami Zayn. Do you think they need to make Sami Zayn look a little bit more serious? Because I feel like he is a great talent, but at the same time, all the goofy stuff kind of kills him. That's his character. I I think I don't I think that's uh I I don't know if people would actually take Sami Zayn serious. Right. Like I, I think that is who he really is. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But back to the women's match here. Uh, great match. Once again, they definitely delivered. I, I I have nothing else to say. I mean, it was such a good match. What are your overall thoughts of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I thought it was a really good match. I think that these two, like you mentioned, they, they work really well together. They really always have. Um, I think they could have certainly played up that this was Sasha's, you know, for whatever reason, Oscar typically gets the better of Sasha Banks and that didn't happen last night. So mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably could have talked about that a little bit more, but yeah, it didn't happen. Yeah, they could have, but, um, Mr. Mike 307 says Asuka and Sasha face off are good matches, but their finishes are weak. Do you think the finish was weak in this match? Um, not really. I mean, it, that's kind of more of an opinion thing. Like, right. I mean, if you look at, look at the match towards the tail end of it, you had a lot of the pins and reversals and stuff like that. And generally if it's going to go that direction, you usually get like a a, spe- um, a finishing move from out of nowhere or something else. And right. that's kind of what we got last night. Yeah. I mean, it's better than Bailey stripping off the referee and forcing a count on making a match really unofficial. So yep. it's definitely better than that. Now let's talk about what I think most people are talking about outside of the main event. And that is the women's Survivor Series match. So there's a lot to talk about in this. And I'd love to see people in the chat, you know, let us know what you guys thought about this match. Donate to the super chat if you want as well. Any dollar amount will help support this channel. But you have on Team Raw, it's Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lana, Peyton Royce, and Lacey Evans. On SmackDown, it's Natalia, Bailey, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, and Bianca Belair. There's some things on this match I thought really worked and there's some things that I'm going to scratch my head on but let them play out the first thing that I think that the latter belongs to is Peyton Royce eliminating Bailey as the first elimination Mm -hmm. I am not sure where they're going with that if that was just a quick way to get 
Bailey out of the match, and that's like her getting written off for a while. Okay. If this is the start of a big push for Peyton Royce, I'm okay with that. But I'm I'm scratching my head on that first elimination. That was definitely one of the things that I found surprising, especially considering it's not like Peyton Royce has been booked strong going into this. I mean, you could say what you want about her and and the Iconics and them being tag team champions and stuff like that. But even then, like it's not like the women's tag team championships really mean all that much in WWE, unfortunately. So it's you can't really say, well, you know, she was really booked really strong as a, somebody in the tag team division. It's just, yeah, it kind of came from out of nowhere, especially considering how well Bailey was booked and how strong she was booked. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. I thought that Bailey was eliminated pretty early, and it was surprising that it came at the expense of Peyton Royce to me. Right now, the story <laughs> being told throughout this match was Lana does to get herself tagged in. She tags herself in. Nia Jax does not want her any part of this match whatsoever. So as soon as Lana tags herself in, you hear Nia in the background, get around, get around, get around. And she does a little bit with Natalia, look good in the ring. Eventually they get Lana out and Nia Jax forces her to sit on the stairs for the remainder of this match. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, After all these other eliminations, it comes down to you have Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Lana for Raw. SmackDown has Bianca Belair. That's who's left. So you have Bianca Belair. And I said this was going to happen. I said Bianca Belair needs to eliminate both Nia and um, Shayna, which she did in a way. So she's in the uh, Carafuda clutch and um, goes into the rope. She passes out onto the rope. The referee goes to count of five and eliminates Shayna Baszler because of that. Yeah. Do you think that was a good way to get Shayna Baszler eliminated to keep her protected? How many people are going to try to protect in one match? I mean, but that's the point. You have to protect these people. We all know we have to, they choose to. And that's one of the most aggravating things about WWE. You don't have to protect every single person. Like if, if Bianca Belair is going to be an up and comer and somebody that's going to be a contender, there's no shame in her actually getting pinned. Uh, Shayna actually getting pinned or submitted by Bianca. So I, but she's part of the women's know. tag team champions. And you already know. And those if, mean what? I mean, it's unfortunate. I, yeah, okay. You're I get a tag that. team champion. But I get what does that. that mean? But I get that. But here's the thing. If if Shayna Baszler were to get eliminated by pinfall or submission, people would complain and throw out that five-letter word everybody loves. She's buried. Shayna Baszler is buried because Bianca Belair pinned her or someone else pinned her. Same with Nia Jax. Oh my God, Nia Jax. Well, not many people care about Nia Jax, but Nia Jax is buried because she lost by pinfall. But has anybody actually cared about Shayna Baszler since she's been brought up from NXT? I mean, her her the best thing she's done in her career in WWE to this point has been, you know, uh, achieved in NXT. Ever since she's come to the main roster, it's kind of like, okay, stop and go or, you know, tag team champion with Nia and... I, I, I just, I don't, I don't think her taking a pin from Bianca Belair, even if it's something like a, a schoolboy or a roll up. Right. But see the thing that with, hurts her, the thing with Shayna is they, the way they have her lose these matches, there's always like some weird, like roll up thing. And they, they finally get her to, to the, the way that she ends up losing. She ends up in the Carafuda clutch and they flip her over for a pin 
And this, this time it doesn't happen because the ref was distracted, I believe is what happened. So then she chokes out Chain, uh, Bianca Belair. Is that, am I talking about this right spot? Was it that or was there someone else that this was with? I'm pretty the, sure it was Bianca. Yeah, it was. Okay. The, so the that, Roddy Piper finish. Right. Bret Hart. Then, right. And then they let that, they, then she put it back on her and that's when she passed out onto the yes. ropes. Okay. Yep. That's the right spot. Right. So I think, you know, Bianca looked awesome in this match. Even if she wasn't the one that was the sole survivor, she looked awesome in this match. Well, I let's th- talk about the sole survivor. Cause that's the thing that everybody wants to hear us yes. talk about. Yes. And we, and we text about this before we went on the air and we disagree. Yes. I am of the, Strongly. Mi- I am of the minority on this one. And I already know this made perfect sense. This was the best way to have this match booked. This was the best way to have the finish because it is irony. It is where Nia Jax's plan both worked and blew up in her face at the same time. Like, let me know in the live chat. People tell me why they did not like this finish. I'll tell you why I didn't like it. Other than the fact that it was a double count out and she did not actually have to partake in an elimination. What was so bad about the way this match was finished? Because it didn't accomplish anything. Because nobody views Lana any differently than they viewed her before this match. As, and they, they're not going to view her any differently because nothing was accomplished from it. So here, here's, here's the way I see it. So the story that I feel like they were trying to portray in this or trying to play off of was the fact that Lana's being told you need to stand outside. You don't fit in with us. You're not a professional wrestler. Let us do the heavy work, right? So really what you want the fans to do is sympathize with her. In order for fans to sympathize with her, you have to, or you, for them to get behind her, you have to give them a reason to be invested in it. So I feel like the thing they could have done was they could have had it where SmackDown's got like two or three women that are left, and Lana's the sole survivor, and she's the last one, and make her get a couple of cheap win pins or something like that. Make her actually show that she she can go out there and wrestle and, and be a, 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 a actual member of this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I don't like, I don't feel like them trying to draw sympathy to Lana. I don't think that they accomplished that. I don't think people view Lana any differently today than they viewed her yesterday. The other thing that I think they could have certainly done was do a spot where, okay, if you know that people want to see Lana get some type of revenge on Naya after all the things that she's done, she's put her through a table, what, like nine or 10 times. I nine think we covered that already. All right. Nine, nine times. times. Why not have a spot where, okay. It's come down to Nia, Lana, and Bianca. The ref gets knocked out of the ring or something, and Lana actually like hits Nia with a chair in the back or something. Costs her own team the match, but at least she's getting revenge on the people that wouldn't even let her participate in the match. Like I feel like there was no actual sense of uh, relief or redemption or anything like that. Like she never actually got that moment where she proved that she was able to hang with the actual wrestlers in the ring. So. I, I mean, I, I just thought it was was bad. I thought it was a really wa- bad way to end the match. And I don't think, I think they, they kind of hurt Bianca a little bit because Bianca looked the best. Mm-hmm. Why not have it be Lana and Bianca? And, you know, where's the shame in Bianca pinning Lana and Lana looking good in that? You know, then then Lana shows she's actually able to hang with the other top women in the, the, in the WWE. So she look, comes out looking good. Bianca gets the win for SmackDown and everybody goes goes home happy. I, I think they actually did a disservice to to uh, Lana in this by not actually having her get her revenge on the bullies or the people that told her, look, you can't you can't wrestle. 
Like, you're not coming in the ring. We don't want you in the match. Just stand on the outside. It was right. anticlimactic. I, I get what you're saying. But that's the story being told. The story is Nia Jax wants her no business with Lana in this match. Because if it comes down to Lana as the sole survivor, she's going to lose it for Team Raw. What ends up happening? She ends up being the sole survivor. And because of her not participating, she ends up winning the match. But that's the problem. That, that's her, that's her, where Nia Jax's plan works and backfires at the same time because she's thinking, oh, I'll just do all the work myself, but ends up hurting. Like she loses and Lana wins. And that's going to create a story with them saying Lana's the sole survivor. And then Nia Jax is going to be like, no, you're the, the only reason you became sole survivor is because I put you in the corner not doing anything and just makes the story progress. And that's that's the problem I have with it. Like, if you want her to be the sole survivor and actually have her achieve something or have her status change, I feel like she needed to participate. And I feel like she had no influence on that outcome. And I think that's going to hurt the way the fans view her because having her be a sole survivor at the expense of a double countout doesn't necessarily elevate her status or the way fans view her. But that's and, not and really, they, that's not what they're trying to do in this situation. They're not. So trying, what are they trying to do? What do they accomplish? Other than they, nothing, they accomplished her becoming the sole survivor. That was the only. It, it's goal. a meaningless, it, but they, it's meaningless to be the sole survivor if you don't participate and actually have an influence on the outcome. Like her, that, her, her being in the corner has nothing to do with her going out there and being able to prove that she can actually wrestle and that she's proving the doubters wrong, which is her entire team. She didn't right. do that. No, I understand that, but. There was only two ways to do this. One, she would either have to tag herself into the match, which she tried doing and they got her out, or she just listens to them, sits in the corner and just lets the match develop. And then when she has to come in, she comes in, you know, but it never got to a point where she needed to prove herself because Nia Jax put her in the corner like she was a two-year-old and ends up winning the match without having to do anything. And look, she still gets it. Look how excited she gets, even even though she didn't really have to do anything. This is this is going to help progress the story of Naya and Lana. This is one of those things you have to just relax and take it for what it's worth. It didn't wow. really do. It did not do anything. And Bianca still looks good, despite not winning and becoming the sole survivor for being counted out. That protects her. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are also protected. So in the end... Everybody wins. Lana gets the sole survivor. Like people are saying in the comments, Bianca should have won to set up her and Bailey. It gets set up anyway because Bianca was the last person eliminated and Bailey was the first person eliminated. So maybe that's where they're going with that. Okay. This is the last thing I'll say about this, this topic specifically, because obviously we're not going to agree on it. Right. Whose ceiling do you think is higher? Bianca's or Lana's? Bianca's, which is why Lana needs, or excuse me. Yeah. Bianca's is higher. Lana's is shorter. She's so you, more limited. So wouldn't you think it means more for Bianca to come out of this looking strong, getting a win, going into uh, a feud with Bailey or Sasha or somebody else rather than having Lana have this whole soul survivor thing going on for, for what? I mean, is it actually going to go anywhere? Do you actually see Lana winning a championship? I don't. Well, here, here's the thing. And Scott just brought this up in our, our comment section, in our live chat. Bianca looked amazing. It's not about the win and the loss. It's, it's, you know, wins and losses don't matter in WWE. It's how everybody looks at the end. She won the, she's the sole survivor and, and progresses that story with Nia. 
Bianca still looked good despite not winning the match, and you could still start that story with her and Bailey. That's all this did. It set up a story with Nia and Lana, and it set up a story with Bailey and Bianca. That's what it did. That's it. And you got TLC coming up, and Prime Killer put this up. TLC's coming up, Nia versus Lana in a tables match. Maybe. Yep. I don't. All right. Well, enough about, you know, Lana's uh, glass ceiling or whatever you want to call it. Let's talk about this main event match. Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. Uh, Was very hyped up for the week and a half build that it really had. Best of the best. You got the best of SmackDown. You got the best of Raw. And honestly, this was this was a, a very good match. Match of the year contender. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, and, and this is really what we kind of hope to get out of these two. Uh, to me, Drew McIntyre has been one of the most consistent top-level guys in WWE since uh, probably about Royal Rumble or maybe even a little bit before that, you know, when he really started his run. I can't really think of a time where he's had a meaningful match that did not really deliver off the top of my head. It seems like he's actually going out there, assuming the role of a top guy. And that's impressive, especially considering he wasn't ever really viewed as a top guy until the Royal Rumble. I mean, there were, there were a couple times where it was teased. Um, again, I, I talked about this yesterday. What, three or four years ago, two years ago, however long ago it was, this guy was in 3MB. He, he yeah. was essentially a joke. He got released from the WWE. He came back in NXT. He won the NXT championship, got brought up to the main roster. And, you know, he goes out there every single time, whether it's a big match with Orton, uh, this most recent match with, with Roman. Um, and he, he does amazing. And, mm-hmm. and Roman Reigns, there, there can't be enough credit uh, given to these two guys for what they went out there and did last night. To me, I know a lot of people are saying, well, it started out a little slow. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And by the end of that match, I'm pretty sure everybody was invested in it. And it, to me, it was an amazing match. And I think yep. it's legitimately a start to uh, the build towards WrestleMania because I, I think that this really, truly could be a glimpse of what we're going to get at WrestleMania. And it told a great story. And I think McIntyre looked awesome in this match. I think Roman looked really good in this match. I think the involvement of Jay Uso was perfect, especially what we saw earlier in the night where Roman was pissed that Team SmackDown lost and Jay was the last man eliminated saying that Jay Uso yeah. could not control his team. And when you can't control your team, they don't respect you. And when they don't respect you, they don't respect me. And this whole head of the table, tribal chief talk that Roman has been on fire with since he's come back at SummerSlam. You know, this is the Roman that everybody wanted in WWE for the last five years. They're finally getting it. And Drew McIntyre, this is the Drew McIntyre that we saw in the independence little bit of impact. We're seeing that now in WWE. These guys are the best of WWE without question right now. There's no one that no one comes close in the, as far as the men wrestlers, maybe Randy Orton, but Drew McIntyre already took care of that. There's nobody but, else. And, and, and this is the thing, whether you, you play professional sports or whether you, whatever you operate in a business, you want your top guys, your top tier talent to really bring up the level of talent around them. So what I mean by that is this. I mean, when you look at Randy Orton, he's a guy that always got criticized for years as being a guy. All right. He's got the most boring matches. All right. Well, maybe he wasn't necessarily put in there with the right guys to bring the best out of him. The match he had with edge, the feud he had with edge, maybe not so much the match he had at WrestleMania, but the feud itself. I mean, they drew edge 
drew out the best of Randy Orton. Drew McIntyre drew the best out of uh, Randy Orton as well. Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns both drew the best out of each other. So that's what you want to see. You want to see your top tier talent go out there and try to steal the show night in and night out. I would have paid whatever the, I, you know, obviously the, the WWE network, I think it's only what, $10 a month. I don't even yep. know anymore, but yeah, it's nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine to me. I would, the pay-per-view itself was, was okay. It was good enough, but this was just, I would have, I would have watched it just for this main event because it was that good of a main event to me. Right. Do you think the, the pay-per-view itself lost a little bit of the buzz because the draft happened so soon and like there were a lot of guys that were on like both survivor series teams and you know a lot of that yeah were from guys that just switched over brands i think that they can make survivor series as a whole a little more meaningful by having the the two teams whether you represent raw or smackdown have some implications on maybe let's say royal rumble like if the team that wins i don't know maybe you, you do uh know the entrant picks or something like they get a, a later pick or i don't know you, you you could do something to get people a little more invested i don't know if right. the draft hurt it i don't think people take the draft serious anymore because it's just kind of played out at this point yeah uh, they, to most people and, and the did. main thing for that is they just don't they don't actually make it a point to keep the brands separate so much i mean now they're doing yeah. a little bit better of it right but back when you talk about cena oh well he can go back and forth between shows and they never really explained why right it it you know, it's just not he's John Cena. Like whatever. If right. You... So this definitely was match of the year. Would you agree with that? Match of the year, or match of the night, both night year, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'd have to go. I hate answering questions like this because it's like whatever match you watch most recently, if it's going to be in that conversation, it's right there. It's always going to be the forefront of your mind. I have to go back and watch some of the other contenders, but Right now, I would say that it certainly is up there in my top five, top three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the way this match this match finished, it was Drew finally got the Claymore on Roman, but Roman knocks out the referee. So he's the ref's knocked out on the outside. Jay Uso comes in. Um, Roman low blows Drew. Jay super kicks Drew. Then it goes to the guillotine. A ref comes in and calls the match because Drew passed out. I think this was a prime opportunity for the Miz to cash in. Do you think they should have done that? Um, they certainly would have been protected because they were going to send the fans home happy either way because the Undertaker was the closing thing. Right. Um, I actually asked myself this. I don't know if I see the Miz cashing in on on Drew, especially after last night, successfully. I don't know. I it's hard for me to say that they should take the belt off of Drew McIntyre at any time, because, especially if it's the Miz. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think they got something good with Drew right now. I think that they should follow this. You know, both Roman and Drew should follow these these parallel uh, journeys to WrestleMania and probably have a rematch at some point. Yep. Um, See, I think obviously the thing is, I think this was a precursor, and you touched on this already. This is a precursor to. A match of mania. Yeah. And the only way you get that to happen is one of them has to drop their title and the other, and that person has to also win the Royal rumble. And that's the most logical way to do yeah. it. This is the work. This is the way to do it by having, uh, drew lose, get knocked out. The Miz sneaks in and cashes in and he becomes WWE champion. 
Then you have them have a match at TLC where Drew doesn't necessarily have to get pinned or submitted to win, maybe with a ladder match and with the help of John Morrison and other people, Drew McIntyre um, loses that match, goes into the Royal Rumble, wins it. Then we get Roman and Drew too at WrestleMania. I think the problem right now is where they are in WWE, where Raw, where where SmackDown are. You know, you got Roman who's who's really trying to push this you know, head of the table, tribal chief thing, which it's working great. Drew McIntyre um, came from pretty much out of nowhere. I didn't, I don't know if they, I mean, obviously they put the belt on him for a reason, but I don't know if they expected him to do this well. And it's kind of like, you know, for so long, people have been critical of WWE and booking their top tier talent. Why take the risk of having the Miz go over either one of them? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it'd be wise of WWE to take the title off of Drew McIntyre, especially if it's the Miz. I just don't, think people would be into it i think it would be i think it would hurt them more than it would help them i think that yeah everything you're saying makes logical sense like yeah you protect everybody in the whole thing that's fine but why risk you know alienating your fan base when you finally have at least a couple of things going right right all right well all right fair enough but let's talk about this final farewell with the undertaker uh i kind of look at this a little differently because of working in television. So I kind of have a production's eye on this. And I noticed a couple things that were a little bit wrong with it that, <clears throat> excuse me, not many people would think to even look at. Uh, there was one part where when the gongs were first going, one of the, like someone played the wrong sound effect. And then there was a camera angle where they showed the lift that the undertaker was on. But other than those two little hiccups, I thought this was as good as it could be given the situation we're in. Yeah. And that's how I felt too. I felt like given the certain, the, the circumstances that were in the middle of a, a pandemic here, given the fact that there couldn't be fans there, this probably was the best that they could do. Um, I was surprised that a couple of people were, well, one person was there and I was surprised that a couple of people weren't there and there could be reasons for that. I was surprised Kevin Nash was there. I, I, I felt like, I was trying to think, you know, think back. Yeah, they've had certain feuds. I know that him Undertaker went over Diesel. I believe that was at WrestleMania. WrestleMania uh, 12. That was na- that was Diesel's last match in WWF. Yeah, and you know, maybe they were better friends backstage and they didn't necessarily cover that like they covered BSK and all that type of stuff. Um I would have liked to seen Edge there for sure because him mm-hmm. and Undertaker really kind of carried SmackDown for a while. Batista, they had a good feud. Um I think overall it was good. I do think it's unfortunate that we have to say goodbye to the undertaker in this, this way with no fans there. Yeah. Um, you know, so it kind of was what it was. I did like the end with Paul bearer. I thought that was very cool. That was awesome. Um, that was so cool. Yeah. So I thought there was a lot of good elements and good things to this. I really just think it's kind of unfortunate that if this is the last time you are going to see undertaker, it's in an empty arena. There's no fans around. And it certainly seems like this could be the last time because he did get very emotional. What'd you think of Vince McMahon's <clears throat> speech? I know I some that, people are talking about, oh my God, he said WWF. Vince, I think Vince McMahon gives a shit about that. I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, he's, he's literally one of the most prolific businessmen in the, the history of the United States. I, I doubt he's really caring about say, going on air and saying WWF. I don't, I don't think he cares all that much, no, especially at his all. age. Right. Um, I I thought it was okay. I mean, Vince. Let's be honest. He's older. He's an older uh, yeah. guy. I mean, he's you not. Think? He's he's not. All, 
it doesn't seem like he's all there. Um, it was what it was. It was okay, I guess. Like, I, I like. I felt like. I think Triple H could have gave a much better speech. Yeah, that much. I agree. Like, I felt like Vince McMahon could have been out there saying, like, you know, we say goodbye to the Undertaker, but we also say goodbye to me, and like they both leave at the same time. But, it, I mean, it was you're talking about his most loyal employee in the Undertaker. I mean, the only other loyal employee. From the Undertaker was Howard Finkel, Sean. No, Sean. Sean. Sean was it. a pain in the ass, from what everybody says. Yeah. I mean, Undertaker was always the loyal. From what everybody says, I mean, no matter what documentary you watch, no matter what you read, uh, people always say he was the most respected guy in the back. He kept everybody in line. He was the locker room leader, and mm-hmm. you know, rightfully so. Yeah, and, and like, you know, it was nice to see some of the guys that were there. Obviously, everybody from BSK. Well. The living ones, I should say. Um, they were nice way to incorporate um, Paul Bearer in the hologram. That looked awesome. I do want to make note, though, of after they announce everybody, Kane is the last one. And they do that um, that jib shot uh, over the ring. And Kane is in full gear. Everyone else is in their normal clothes. And he's standing in the corner while everyone else is kind of like all together. It was just like a weird... Weird visual, like, like I could just see Kane in his head going, "Guys, I thought we were supposed to be in costume here. What the hell?" <laughs> I wish we got Kane the 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 original Kane outfit, the one he debuted in with the full face mask and everything. I wonder if but... he fits in it though. He might not fit in it anymore. What do you mean? Well, one, he's he's not he's not as he's not as. I mean, he. I'm sure he has a tailor. Yeah, but no, I, I don't know, but. Either way, it was it was a nice send-off for The Undertaker. Not the way I think a lot of people would have liked it to be. Maybe what we saw at WrestleMania 33 would have been better. Granted, the match sucked. But that closing, but it's 30 years, man. Let him do whatever the hell he wants. Thank everybody for joining us on this Survivor Series review. Support our channel by buying our merchandise one last time. We got the hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, 10% 10% off with the promo code SCPV10. Link is in the description. We'll talk to you guys as we have another episode later this week. We'll have that uploaded sometime. We'll let you know what the topic's going to be ahead of time. So make sure you subscribe. Hit that bell for notifications. Ralph Valenti, my name is Michael Valenti. Thank you for joining us here on the Squared Circle Cycle Babble. Mm-hmm.